1: And welcome to the Nutrients 2021 First Quarter Earnings Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Richard Downey, VP of Investor Relations.
2: Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Nutrients Conference Call to discuss our first quarter 2021 results and outlook. On the call with us today is Mr. Mayo Schmidt, President and CEO of Nutrien, Mr. Pedro Ferrar, our CFO, as well as our heads of our business units and other key members of our team. As we discuss this conference call, various statements we make about future expectations, plans and prospects contain forward-looking information. Certain material assumptions were applied in making these conclusions and forecasts. Therefore, actual results could differ materially from those contained in our forward-looking information. Additional information about these factors and assumptions are contained in our current quarterly report to our shareholders, as well as our most recent annual report, MDNA, and annual information form filed with Canadian and U.S. security commissions to which we direct you. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Mayo Schmidt.
3: Thank you, Richard, and good morning. I want to thank you for joining the Nutrien team today as we share news of our exceptional results and strong outlook. Nutrien has a portfolio of integrated and related businesses that provide competitive advantages. Our team is excited to execute our long-term and board-approved strategy. This includes our 2023 financial and operational targets, as well as our recently unveiled ESG targets and commitments. We are dedicated to growing Nutrien through superior operational performance and focused capital allocation to create shareholder value. The very tight global, Supply and demand growth has led to strong pricing across virtually all crops and we anticipate a tight supply and demand environment continuing through 2021 and beyond. As we speak today growers are responding by increasing seeded acreage and are focused on maximizing yields. It's really an exciting time to be in agriculture and as the world's largest provider of crop inputs and services we are also helping growers meet increasing global food demands. We're focused on the challenges of ensuring food security, safety, and climate action. We recently issued our new ESG report highlighting how Nutrien will focus on helping to transform the agriculture industry in three priority areas. Feeding the planet sustainably, environment and climate action, and inclusive agriculture. We'll be hosting a detailed review of our priorities, key commitments, and targets as well as our market-leading carbon program at our ESG update in June. Now, turning to our first quarter results and outlook, we delivered excellent performance across all our business units. Our outlook for the second quarter is very positive, as field work and seeding are progressing very well, and our expectations are for higher acreage in North America. As the largest ag retailer in multiple countries, we are seeing firsthand strong interest of growers to maximize yields, and we are fully prepared to serve them with our broad selection of crop inputs and services. Our service offering includes our leading proprietary products, our direct producer relationships while fielding more than 3,600 agronomists globally, an input financing program, and our investments in innovative digital tools. Our Nutrient Ag Solutions retail business delivered a record first quarter adjusted EBITDA of $109 million due to strong margins across virtually all product lines and geographies. Retail sales increased 12% year over year and gross margins rose to 22%. Fertilizer margins were strengthened by the rapid rise in prices this quarter although margins are expected to normalize in the second quarter as retail's more recent fertilizer purchases have been made at higher levels. U.S. crop nutrient volumes were up just over 10% year-over-year, while total retail volumes were up 20% and gross margin per ton was nearly $15 per ton higher. Crop protection margins in all geographies demonstrated year-over-year improvement this quarter. The market has been fairly tight for certain products and regions due to the combination of the February freeze, impacting production in the U.S., strong global demand, and recent logistical bottlenecks both international and domestic. However, due to the strength of our supply chain, Nutrient Ag Solutions is well positioned with product availability for our growers' requirements for the season. We also reported improvements across our retail metrics this quarter. Total retail adjusted EBITDA to sales surpassed 10% and was over 11% in the US, while adjusted EBITDA per US selling location increased to over $1.1 million. Retail lowered their cash operating coverage ratio to 60%. We continue to see impressive performance and utilization of our digital ag platform all metrics showing significant year-over-year improvement. In Potash, our business continues to build momentum with near-record sales volumes into North American market for the first quarter and solid demand internationally. KinSites and the Potash team are optimizing production across our six mines and progressing automated mining projects that will together improve safety, performance, lower cost, and further reduce our carbon footprint. Our cash cost of production was lower by about $3 per ton compared to the first quarter of last year, despite an increase in the value of the Canadian dollar. We achieved significantly higher potash sales volumes this quarter, despite the extremely cold weather in February, which slowed logistics and deferred offshore shipments, shifting about 300,000 tons of our planned international sales into the balance of 2021. Demand for our nitrogen products remained strong across North America, with prices rising rapidly during the quarter. Rafe Sully and his team delivered strong operating results, achieving a 97% North American ammonia operating rate, despite downtime due to extreme cold weather events in February. Sales volumes decreased year over year due to the lower starting inventories due to a robust fall season in 2020 and reduced production in Trinidad. Our phosphate operations posted a strong quarter with $97 million in EBITDA due to higher realized prices. We do expect margins to temper going forward as costs rise from the much stronger sulfur and ammonia prices. Now turning to the outlook. New crop corn and soybean prices and the cash margins are approximately 60% higher than this time last year, while spot prices have approximately doubled. The rally in crop prices highlights the tightness in global supply and demand balances and the sensitivity to any potential supply risk in 2021. Retail is experiencing excellent demand for products and services of the mood amongst growers is very positive. We believe the final seeded acres for corn and soybeans could be about 4 million acres higher than the USDA March intentions report. Even at a higher US seeded acreage, we expect to see a continuation of tight stocks to use ratios and strong crop prices in the next year. We have increased our annual EBITDA guidance by 400 million to 4.4 to 4.9 billion in 2021. The increases across all business units supported by continued strength in crop and fertilizer prices and a very positive outlook for potash in the second half of the year. We believe that potash inventories in the major global markets remain low for this time of year, and the global demand will be 68 to 70 million metric tons. We're expecting as much as a 20% increase in potash imports in Indonesia and Malaysia this year, exceptional demand in North America, and continued growth in South America and Asia. Campotex is fully committed on volumes into September and anticipates it will gain market share in the higher netback regions outside of China and India. The recent recent increase in the Baltic Dry Freight Index is expected to have minor impact on our offshore potash netbacks. Year over year, ocean freight rates are approximately $20 per ton higher. We anticipate the impact to our international potash netbacks will be less than $10 per ton in 2021 due to Campotec's long-term freight arrangements. We anticipate North American nitrogen and phosphate prices will remain firm through the application season. Our realized nitrogen prices in the second quarter will be supported by the higher proportion of ag-related sales. We expect typical summer seasonal pricing and some moderation in nitrogen prices in the second half of the year due to an increase in global urea export availability from China and some new capacity coming on stream globally. However, we continue to be constructive on the nitrogen market outlook for the medium and long term. In closing, we believe agriculture fundamentals have positive momentum and nutrients exceptionally well positioned to benefit from the multi-year strength expected in crop and fertilizer markets. We also see great opportunity to demonstrate and benefit from our commitment to delivering products technologies, and services to ensure we can collectively feed the planet more sustainably. We are uniquely advantaged to collaborate with growers and industry partners to launch and scale a comprehensive carbon program that has the potential to accelerate climate smart agriculture. The interest in the program is apparent as we're oversubscribed for our 2021 farm uh, pilots. Before we begin the question and answer portion of the call, I'd like to thank Chuck Magro on behalf of employees, customers, and shareholders for his contribution over the past 11 years and do wish him success with his next steps. With that operator, I'd like to open the call to questions for our leadership team here today.
1: At this time, I would like to remind everyone in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Steve Burney from Bank of America. Your line is open.
4: Yes, thank you. And um, just following up on the last comment about uh, Chuck Magro, any, any comments on, uh, you know, why Chuck left or does this represent any change in the direction of uh, nutrient?
3: Well, thanks for that question. Uh, The Board of Directors and Chuck mutually agreed that Chuck stepped down after a decade of strong leadership, and it was my honor to accept the role of President and CEO for Nutrien. Uh, Regarding the Nutrien strategy, uh, certainly I had a front row seat in developing and working with the team as uh, Chairman of the Board uh, with the aspect of driving industry performance across all our business lines. Uh, I might also mention that when we go back to the value that's been created through the MOE, the merger of equals, with Potash Corp. Uh, I headed that committee from a board level, so it was really a, you know, I think the boards thinking about a combination of history and building value and uh, focus on an existing strategy and taking the business to the next level.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Ben Isaacson with Scotia Bank.
4: Thank you very much, and good morning, everyone. Um, Maybe
0: a question for uh, Jason Newton if he's uh, there. Um, potash demand has been very, very strong uh, so far this spring, and there's some concern that, despite strong crop economics, um, demand may be getting pulled from the fall
5: and uh, even from the spring of next year. Uh, can you address that, please? Sure. Good morning, Ben. Um, I think we've we've seen really a couple of consecutive really strong application seasons. Uh, in the U.S., uh, starting with last fall, uh, with really ideal weather, and and uh, and then continued strength in demand um, this spring. If you look at where uh, affordability is, potash prices remain very attractive relative to where crop prices are, um, still well below average um, from a, an index relative to uh, corn costs, and and we see that supporting. Uh, demand and I think as we look toward the uh, summer fill period uh, which leads into the fall of 2021 um, I, I think there's already uh, interest building for uh, summer fill and, and we expect that the inventories through the supply chain will be relatively low uh, once we get to the uh, end of the spring planting season we know that as we look toward uh, the fall weather is is really important um, but the crop Uh, is getting in the ground at a good pace, which sets up well uh, for the growing season. Um, And then as we get into next year, we think the supply-demand fundamentals in major crops continues to look uh, strong, which should be supportive of continued uh, strength in crop prices and affordability uh, in the spring of of 2022, which should continue to support uh, high levels of application rates and demand.
1: As a reminder, everyone will have the opportunity to ask one question. Your next question comes from the line of Adam Samuelson with Goldman Sachs. Mr. Samuelson, your line is open. Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Wong with RBC Capital Markets.
0: Hey, good morning. Um, so, just a question for our, for Mayo, maybe. Just looking across the business, I mean, there's been a lot of work done to improve operations and reduce costs over the past couple of years. Um, are there any areas within the business that you feel could see further improvements, and you know, maybe just highlight some of those areas for us? That'd be great. Thanks.
3: Sure, terrific question. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, I absolutely agree with you, and I was certainly a key participant. And there's strong board alignment on the on the changes. But I really think as we think about moving forward, uh, really a focus on the structural advantages that we have in retail and our production businesses. I think it's a really unique opportunity to put a fresh set of eyes with leadership team on taking the business to the next level. And more specifically to your point, I think an internalization of operational uh, benefits between the business units, you know, focusing on pipeline margins, facility utilization, areas around logistics, transportation, which i I've got quite a deep background in, and also, you know, working capital. And I do think we're really focused on our structural advantages. We think about how we focus the organization on our proprietary, the scale of our transportation, and then I would say the symmetry and balance within our system, which in my view can enhance the pipeline utilization of products and growth and, you know, creating profitability when we can find opportunities for growth, both organically. Uh, and through acquisition and uh, making sure those are profitable in the first full year of operation.
1: Your next question comes from the line of PJ Juvikar with City.
6: Yes, hi, good morning. You know, as growers are flush with cash, do you think they'll upgrade in their seed and chemical purchases to preserve yield and, Mayo, I think you said that you expect maybe 4 million more acres than what USDA suggested. Do you think that, that most of that goes towards corn, given that corn is now at $7, and what's the upside from that? Thank you.
3: Sure. Thank, thanks for your question. i make a comment, and I'll ask uh, Jeff Tarsi to join me here. You know, the higher crop nutrient sales prices and volume from really strong America. Strong North American uh, spring application seasons, what's what's been driving our increase in gross margins. We're quite positive about uh, as we look forward and uh, the opportunity. And Jeff, would you like to further comment? You, you're on the ground and have a great sense of uh, uh, the uh, the planting this year and intentions. Uh, yeah sure. Thanks,
7: Mayo, and good morning, PJ. And PJ, I I agree. I mean, look, there's a lot of optimism out in the network today, uh, especially with our customers. Uh, We see people, I I like to use the term swinging for the fences. Uh, They're going to do everything in their power to maximize yields uh, in 2021, no matter what the crop is, corn, soybeans, cotton, and and wheat, and various other crops with it. As far as maybe trading up on the seed side of things, I don't see so much trading up on the trait side of things. That the trait side of it is more determined by pest pressure. And uh, but what we do see is we increasingly see gr- our growers using technology to trade up on the germplasm side and being able to match the best the best germplasm possible to the different soils that they have on their farm. Uh, our digital agronomy platform is allowing us to really utilize those tools going forward but you know look we're going to see growers really for the inputs to this crop this year Uh, if I look at our nutritional proprietary nutritional business you know I'm seeing that today with some of the infer applications that are being made again they're putting the very best germ plasm out there and we think they're going to do everything they can to protect this crop as we go through the season. I would expect plant health fungicides to be very strong as well as we get into the as we get a little bit deeper into this growing season.
5: And uh, PJ, just to uh, answer the second part of your question on acreage, we'd see the uh, potential growth to get to that four million acre level is relatively even between corn and soybeans. So roughly. Uh, 2 million acres of each corn and soybeans.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Joel Jackson with BMO Capital Markets.
4: Hi, good morning. Um, Welcome, Ram, to this new role at Nutrin. Um, Just a couple questions. So just maybe following up on Jeff's answer earlier, um, you know, with higher crop prices and farmers training up on germplasm, is that a good thing or a bad thing for for Dynagro? Like, might we see dyna lose share this year? Um, farmers are less price sensitive. And then second, on potash, um, you know, will the strategy going forward be the same when it comes to price versus volume? Might you try to push more tons out? How might this change if we get some more tonnage coming on uh, in, uh, in in Russia and Belarus?
3: Jeff, do you want to take that uh, first question, and I'll take the potash, please.
7: Sure, absolutely. And again, good morning, Joel. Hey, in, in respect to the germplasm, Joel, I, I, absolutely not. That's not a negative to Dynagrow in any way. Our, our germplasm, no matter what the, what the crop is, as it relates to Dynagrow, is is can compete with anything out on the marketplace. As, as a matter of fact, if I look at our share through the quarter. Uh, with Dynagrow, I, I see our shares increased across corn, soybeans, cotton, and canola, uh, which will be under the proven side of things. But, uh, no, we, we don't take a back seat when it comes to Dynagrow. And, uh, you know, if you look at our yields as it relates to those by crops, we, we compete with anything out on the market. And depending on the geography and some of those markets, we actually have leading germplasm in those areas. Mayor, I'll turn it back to you.
3: Good, Jeff. Thank you, thank you, Jeff. You know, when we think about our, our uh, potash, we're certainly you know focused on price over supply. Um, you know, and we also look at the the increases we're thinking about the next 10 years. You know, the two and a, two to two and a half percent growth, and that could produce as much as 14 to uh, 20 million more tons of uh, demand over the course of the next 10 years. So we're quite positive one about price. Uh, secondly, growth uh, in that market and. Uh, We'll continue to focus on that, and as we see, you know, right now we're fully committed on our offshore sales volumes through August. Uh, I think, uh, as Ken Seitz may want to comment here, jump in, Ken, but uh, he's certainly been focused on uh, uh, the opportunity in these markets to uh, price, and that's why he's concentrated on certain markets.
8: Yeah, happy to, Mayo. Thank you. And Joel, yeah, just maybe reiterate what Mayo said, and that is, you know, nothing changes for us. We believe we have a good strategy. Um, obviously, focusing on net backs. You know, it, it continues to be the case that we have this flexible mine network and we'll meet demand in the market where, where it is. And we demonstrated that in the first quarter um, with our six mines and, and our significant structural advantages throughout North America, be it supply chain and our 300 odd uh, warehouses, and then internationally via Capitex. And yeah, you look into the balance of the year, things look very positive. And, you know, so we're going to stay the course. Back to you, Thank
1: you. Your next question comes from the line of Michael Picken with Cleveland Research. Yeah, good
4: morning. Um, a question on nitrogen. If you could just talk a little bit about um, – you know, where you are with respect to running your Trinidad plants and, you know, any kind of planned turnarounds that you have for some of the uh, other facilities over the the remainder of the year and how we should be thinking about the cost structure for your nitrogen business going forward. Thanks.
9: Yeah, sure. Michael, so um, let me just start in uh, North America. You will have noticed over the past couple of years a steady increase in our utilization rates. Um, That's uh, as a result, I think, of some of the synergies that we got out of the merger uh, this year we've got two large turnarounds. We're, during these, uh, the last couple of years, we've also been trying to take care of some large uh, end-of-life issues where equipment is coming up to 40 or 50 years of service. Uh, we have two large turnarounds. We're in one at the moment at Borga, Texas, and we have another one starting in a couple of months in Redwater. That's pretty normal for us to have one turnaround a year in the US and one turnaround in, in uh, Canada. Uh, the unusual thing about these is they're a bit larger than normal because of these end of life issues that we've talked about. So coming out of those, we expect to see an increase in production capability and uh, continued increase in reliability. Um, Trinidad, a little bit different story there. We have four plants, as you know. At the moment, all four of them are actually running. Uh, two of them, however, are running at uh, reduced rates. Um, and we have uh, we have a turnaround plan for one of the, uh, the plants down there in uh, uh, starting in a few weeks time. Um, and then another smaller Minor turnaround later in the year. The, up, the outcome, outcome of that will be that you'll see us uh, produce a level equivalent to about three plants um, over the course of the, uh, over the rest of the course of the year, um, and that's of course dependent on gas supply.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Jacob Bout with CIBC.
2: Uh, morning all. Uh, Mayo, perhaps a bit more color in your strategic view, um, specifically your thoughts on how you're prioritizing investment in wholesale versus retail, and, and does it make sense to to keep them together? Is there, you know, value created by, by splitting them apart?
3: Well, th- thanks for that question. You know, I, I think that when we think about the internalization that we're focused on between the two, you know, between the different operating units, that would be the pipeline margins, of facility utilization, logistics, and transportation. And that supply chain is just critical for success. And, you know, when we think about the symmetry and balance in our system, we think about the research and development we have to generate a proprietary seed and then the ability to take that seed to the ground and support it by all of our wholesale fertilizer. And I think this is really a unique opportunity to put a new, again, a fresh set of eyes on how we drive more of that internalization uh, within the system. And so we, we actually... You know, believe that we're stronger together. Uh, we also know that we have to set ourselves up to be advantaged structurally when we look at region or, or countries to make sure that uh, when we're, we're com- not only competitive within particular zones, but, but uh, also uh, through answer- throughout the transportation and logistics network as well. So we think there's strength in the operating uh, teams together. And we're going to uh, really be focused on that internalization uh, over the next uh, course of time and and look at our structural advantages.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Vincent Andrews with Morgan Stanley. Uh, Thank you.
0: Um, uh, Two quick ones. First, on the the 300,000 tons of potash that was delayed, um, you mentioned that it would be delayed into the balance of the year. So I'm just wondering, are you now holding that product back uh, because of the rising price environment and expectations that you can get get price, prices for it later on, or will it actually just flow through um, in, uh, in 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 two q and then secondly just there were i noticed there was a very light buyback uh, in the quarter, so just wondering if there's anything specific to that just given that you you raised the buyback uh at, at fourth quarter thanks very much
6: can do you want to pick up what ash and uh, pedro uh, I can pick up
8: the buyback portion. Can you? You bet. Yeah. Thanks, Vincent. So yeah, with respect to the 300,000 ton, that really was just related to some challenges with uh, with supply chain and logistics in the first quarter. It was weather related. Um, We had some cold weather in February and then um, rain on the coast where we load vessels, and so. We did defer th- those 300,000-ton Campodex did, and it's really uh, kind of uh, split, spread over Q2, Q3, and Q4. Um, that's not to say that our salespeople aren't watching you know, the rising potash price environment and timing sales accordingly. They definitely are. But with respect to those 300,000 tons, it's, it's really just a deferral into the balance of the year.
6: And, Vincent, uh, this is Pedro. I, I think just to comment on the uh, on the buyback. Of course, uh, nothing really changed in our capital allocation. We continue to uh, use it to sustain our uh, first-class assets, uh, and, and then we kind of provided a, a dividend increase in the first quarter, uh, and we look at everything else on a compete-for-capital basis, so we made some kind of a choices. Of course, we're also preparing for... Uh, a very strong uh, spring season here. So what you see uh, is uh, uh, looking at the best return for that capital at that point in time. Uh, Of course, we approved the NCIB and got approval from the board for a reason. So we're considering that as an option, but uh, that option will be exercised in light of our trade-offs between organic and organic and shareholder distributions uh, in the future.
1: Your next question comes from the line of John Roberts with UBS.
4: Um, Thanks. Welcome, Mayo. Um, You talked about the CEO change having something to do with taking nutrient to the next level. Does that imply the 2023 targets laid out at the last investor day may not have been enough, or are you thinking about something else when you talk about the
0: next level?
3: You know, I think it's a combination of things, and thanks, John, for the question. You know, really we're putting a fresh set of eyes with leadership teams, on our operational uh, excellence. You know, we think about, as I mentioned earlier, our structural advantages we have uh, throughout the sector uh, globally today and to a greater degree taking full advantage of those and enhancing that pipeline of utilization of products. So we really think that, you know, as far as we think about those targets, those are, of course, going to be driven by a combination of uh, the advantages that we have in the marketplace and our execution. So uh, the focus on the leadership team here is going to be both on execution and when we think about even, you know, a wonderful business of retail that we have today, uh, can't imagine when we think about the sites that we have across uh, North America and Brazil that we can't uh, find new, new and unique opportunities in those businesses. So that's the area that we're going to really be focused in on.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Mark Connolly with Stevens, Inc.
0: Thanks. I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about the performance of the Brazil business and and how urgently uh, Nutrien thinks it needs to grow that strategically. You know, my sense is that listening to Chuck, uh, Nutrien wants to be a lot bigger and more impactful there.
3: We certainly do, and we see an opportunity to be more impactful. And uh, uh, we think that uh, as as we're looking at and progressing in that particular market, there's unique opportunities as it develops. So uh, we've got a keen focus on that area, and that, that, that will continue. Uh, we expect to see, a, you know, growth in earnings there as well. And, of course, we have an expectation of a, a bit of a higher rate of return in that market, particularly with any levels of risk being uh, in, in different countries uh, as such. So Pedro, do you want to make any comments about that? Well, I, I would just
6: say that we, we have capability for uh, uh, corporate development expansion. So M&A expansion in Brazil, very rich pipeline. Uh, so we have many paths to grow in Brazil. Uh, we will like to grow in Brazil, as we have kind of stated many times before, but uh, we will do so on a disciplined basis. So we'll, we'll uh, take our time to get the best assets, uh, and we're very encouraged by the performance of the existing assets at this point in time, which gives us more confidence about our strategy in the future.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Duffy with Barclays.
4: Yes, good morning. A couple of questions just around China and potash. I mean, if you look, um, you know, China's obviously been buying a ton of corn and soy, kind of price indifferent. And that stands, you know, really juxtaposed to what they've done with potash, where it seems like, you know, you're fighting over nickels and dimes around pricing. Um, Can you square why they would be, um, you know, so tight on the potash side when that can actually affect their internal corn yields versus buying a lot of Um, You know, global product, and then just to follow on to that is, as you sit here today, how do you see the contract developing with them um, on potash this year?
3: I might just comment to start with, and then draw Ken in here. Uh, You know, we look at the change that uh, you know we've gone we've gone through the, the tariffs the U.S. has applied in China. Uh, Work through that, uh, you know, which created, uh, obviously, an extension of uh, Brazilian exports into that market, and then the African swine flu and the recovery from that, and then the, uh, you know, I think it's a combination of that swine flu recovering, and secondly, is China building strategic uh, food supply uh, is driving a lot of this demand, and we we do expect to see it continue. Uh, Ken, would you like to comment further?
8: Yeah, you bet, Mayo. Sure. And thanks, Duffy, for the question. So, yes, it is a unique uh, year with respect to the contracting uh, process in China. Of course, that um, that contract with one of the big international suppliers was on the heels of an agreement with uh, with India at the same price level at the 247. We're watching Chinese inventory levels quite closely at the moment, um, exactly as you say, Duffy, because demand in China will be strong this year. And, and, uh, you know, will continue to be strong going forward inventory levels at the moment are about two and a half million tons that's down from about 3.7 million tons this time last year and and important to note that of that two and a half million tons one and a half million is is the so-called strategic reserve so really only one million tons sitting at the port that's u- that's usable uh, if we look inland at the Qinghai salt lake um, we believe that those inventories were depleted at the end of last year and continues to be the case so Inventories level are low, to your point. Um, Camp Texas said that it's committed right through to the end of August. And so it remains to be seen um, you know, how the contracting situation will evolve in China you know, with this very strong demand and with inventory levels coming down. So, yes, I, I think it plays into the timing around uh, discussion for a new contractor, a new price level in China. And, you know, and again, that remains to be seen as we watch, um, watch this strong demand in the depletion of inventories with, with frankly, suppliers uh, targeting other higher net back markets in the world as opposed to uh, sending as much potash to China. And you see that reflected in KappaTex's numbers as well.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Stephen Hansen with Raymond James.
0: Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, Mayo Nutrion has been a clear industry leader uh, on the digital strategy front here in recent years, and I noted that digital platform sales have doubled in the first quarter here. Can you perhaps just speak to the digital strategy in particular going forward and how you see that changing, if at all?
3: I appreciate it. Thanks. I'll be happy to. Thank you. Uh, you know, one, we've had good success in rolling out the, uh, the Canadian uh, digital strategy. Um, that has been uh, over the course of the last year. And as we think about moving forward, we've been working uh, robustly on the, uh, the U.S. strategy and how we'll roll that out. We're seeing some uh, really good uh, uh, progress in uh, payment of receivables uh, on the digital platform. And uh, we're seeing a growing demand from producers that are willing to order and do their own input. And we're supporting that. You know, fortunately, we have the 3,600 agronomists and also the, the support staff behind that that are able to assist farmers so for, for us it's a matter of a combination of uh, enhancing that digital platform experience for our producers while also uh, helping them with their planning needs in the farm with precision agriculture and if you think about below all of that is you know our, our ESG support that we have uh, in sustainability and we look at you know even thinking about not only digital roles into our, uh, our total pilot acreage target of 100,000 acres, which we were oversubscribed on the on the carbon program. So there's you know there's many whether it's the financing that we do, or the planning we do with whether it's fertilizer or seeds, and then of course the input and uh, receivables. So we're, we're quite positive about it. It's a, it's a big effort. It's across the company. It's requiring focus uh, at every level of leadership.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Rikin Patel with Exane.
5: Hi, all. Um, just a, a question on nitrogen. Um, firstly, do you have any expectations or guidance on the current Indian import tender and how that might impact the market? Um, and then secondly, um, you've mentioned um, an upper end of uh, 5.5 million tons for Chinese uh, urea exports this year. i just curious what sort of scenario um, takes you to that 5.5 million. Thanks.
3: I'd like to ask Jason to uh, address that question. You've got great uh, great experience in that area, Jason, please.
5: Yeah, good morning. Great question. Um, in terms of the Indian tender, I think we're, we're seeing um, some of the, the offers come in today. It certainly is something over the past uh, couple of weeks that's provided support to the uh, international uh, urea market. I, I think that leads well into talking about the Chinese export situation. So we've bumped our uh, forecast of of Chinese urea exports to between four and five and a half million tons, Um, that the top end of the range would be in line with where exports were last year. Um, And I think what drives getting to the top end of the range is a delay in in, in commissioning and the ramp-up of some of the the urea projects that we see coming on stream in the second half of the year, Um, in addition to continued... Uh, strength and demand uh, from India, and and that's a bit tied, as one of those uh, urea projects is is in India. Uh, We know that Indian production year to date is down about 500,000 tons, but uh, is is projected to be up uh, on the full year. Uh, So if that doesn't happen, there's upside in Indian import demand, and and that flows directly through to the uh, Chinese urea export expectations.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Faye Lee with Odlum Brown.
5: Hi, it's uh, Faye here. it uh, been a long time, Ayo, uh, welcome aboard on uh, your new role. Um, just a question on, um, maybe expanding a little bit on the digital side. Do you, right now in terms of the strategic plan, do you see, um, it's kind of been more moving towards like trying to get the farmers onto the digital platform, but do you see opportunities to, Create new stable recurring revenue stream through your digital platform somewhere in the
4: future. Like, what's your thoughts around that?
3: Well, I think it's certainly possible as we extend expand on that experience in digital ag. And you know, I think not only there's going to be efficiencies for the producer, but we're going to realize some efficiencies as well. And whether it's uh, you know prepaids or paying receivables, we're seeing some acceleration of opportunity in those areas. So I, I I agree with your point. I think a number of those things are to be discovered. We haven't rolled out the U.S., although it's under planning and development right now. We've got a very robust uh, approach to the U.S., so it's going to be about, uh, you know, a keen execution. And, uh, of course, we've had the experience in Canada. We were able to adjust to some of the challenges that we experienced in Canada, and we feel good about the platform that we're operating right now.
1: You have a follow-up question from the line of Adam Samuelson with Goldman Sachs.
0: Uh, Yes, thank you. Good morning. Apologies for multiple earnings calls uh, this morning. Um, Was hoping to get a a little bit more color on your view on on the nitrogen market uh, as we think about the second half. Um, It seems like ammonia prices in the seaboard market have uh, have topped out the May contract for Tampa, rolled over. Um, We are seeing Chinese urea exports pick up. And just trying to get a sense for if there are lower prices in the second half, just how, how far do we think they're actually going down, given the grain price environment and the demand and cost curve dynamics that we have uh, at, at play today?
5: Thank you.
9: Adam, thanks for the question. <clears throat> Obviously, we spent a lot of time thinking about what might happen second half. I think let me just step back for a minute and, and look at the macro um, supply and demand. You know, if you, you think about where we were, 2012 through 2018, there's a lot of supp- <clears throat> a lot of supply in the market. Prices were down. 2018 forward, we're not seeing <clears throat> the same amount of projects coming online. Um, the overall nitrogen market is about 150 million tonnes globally at the moment and growing at, uh, you know, one and a half to two and a half million tonnes a year. Um, you know, so a, a full-scale world scale ammonia every year. <clears throat> um, so, you know, we, we've seen that tightening. Now, uh, we we're expecting it to tighten a little earlier, uh, but you saw that last year, second quarter, we saw a decline uh, due to COVID and the industrial demand had dropped about 20%, we've seen that industrial demand come back and come back strongly. And uh, so, you know, there, there may well be a little reset as we get out of the spring season. We're expecting a very strong spring season, but there's always a little bit of a reset in summer. We just don't think it's going to be as marked uh, as we've seen uh, historically. and uh, We certainly think that uh, the prices through the, the back half will be substantially above where they were um, in a similar period last year.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Steve Byrne with Bank of America.
4: Yes, thank you for the follow-up here. Um, the gross margin expansion in in the fertilizer sales in retail is, um, is intriguing. Uh, my understanding is historically the relationship was wholesale could move tons into the retail channel, you know, as a way of moving product off season, but retail had the decision of when to, when that product would be priced and when to, to lock it in. Um, can you comment on whether that is still the case? And I asked because that, you know, the, the fertilizer price inflation during the first quarter was, was, was robust. And so the question is, you know, when did your retail channel, essentially lock in the purchase pricing for the fertilizer that was sold in that quarter. And perhaps more importantly, for the second quarter sales that I'm sure that are going on the ground right now, was, was that volume locked in, you know, earlier this year as well to, to uh, represent a, a nice margin expansion just simply on price?
3: Thanks, Steve, for the question, and I'll I'll pull in Jeff here, but let me just start with, you know, this isn't uh, unique to the agriculture sector, and certainly with, you know, my past record in in handling, you know, seed chemicals, fertilizers, and the internalization of demand. There's going to be the internalization that we do between wholesale and resale, but we also are uniquely positioned to be able to trade and transact outside of our own own system to, to peers in the marketplace. And that's one of the things that we look at in terms of the balance of our system as to where our wholesale is located, the transportation, logistics, and sales program be- between the two. So we do have that real unique opportunity to look both internally and externally to maximize our margins. So, Jeff, would you like to continue the, to comment?
7: Sure, sure, Bayo, and hello, Steve. Yeah, and look, Steve, you, you you're familiar with our network, and my my first remark would be that to to move as many tons of fertilizer as we move through our network uh, into the fall and into the spring, we have to start well well ahead of time of putting inventory in our sheds, and we did last fall. Uh, we were able to obviously take advantage at the time of of some lower prices, and as we came into this first quarter, as you as you've seen with our numbers. We were able to take advantage of some of that inflation that we saw on those fertilizer tons and uh, I think our guys have done a great job out there of, of trying to to price as close to replacement as we can. Obviously we' we're we're, 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 get, we're running out of that inventory on that uh, what I would call that first turn. We're, at, we're actually having to buy back into the market some today. And and I think in the second quarter, you'll obviously see more normalized margins as it relates to on from a per ton basis on it. But I'll also add, Steve, that, you know, we've worked really hard on our proprietary nutritionals, and those kind of figure into that margin per ton basis, too. And uh, we've done a lot of great work with the ActiGrow products and things like that that are also contributing to that margin as well. Uh, with it. But, and, and again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we've seen rate increases as well as these growers are really optimistic about giving their crops every chance to maximize yield and such. And uh, look, we'll, you know, we'll start, we'll start another month, month or so, getting ready for the fall fertilizer season. And, and obviously, we're going to have to layer a lot of product in because we're going to anticipate with these strong prices, it's going to be strong demand again this fall as well.
1: Your next question comes from the line of John Roberts with UBS.
4: Thank you. Um, You're targeting 29% of retail margin from proprietary products in 2023. Can you get there organically? And is there any particular category that's expected to drive that increase?
3: Jeff, do you have that one, please?
7: Yeah, yeah, I, I think we can get there organically. We made we've made numerous uh, investments and acquisitions uh, on that proprietary side of our business. Whether we're talking about crop protection, nutritionals, or seed, uh, with with our proven and Dynagrow brands of seed, with it. And look, we we've gotten off to a you know I think a fantastic start through the first quarter uh, with our proprietary business. Our revenues are up. And our GP is up. Again, we, we we see, and especially in environment of, of high commodity pricing, you know, we see a lot of we see a lot of our products like our nutritionals that are in very strong demand today. Uh, our crop protection segment as well is positioned very nicely uh, for these markets. And again, I look at I look at things like our adjuvant and surfactant markets, and we measure them on a metric on a percent of uh, to crop protection and we see nice increases there as well. So, I think we've got a, a a really good trajectory to get to that metric that we talked about in 2023 and I don't to, to be honest with you, I don't think it takes a lot more investment say from an acquisition standpoint. I know we're working on things that we can do to make our manufacturing and logistics side of it more efficient going forward and I think those are normal investments. That you make in that side of the business, but uh, we're extremely optimistic about about that side of the business and the uh, the portfolio that we built, and uh, we we want to utilize that.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Vincent Andrews with Morgan Stanley.
0: Um, thanks for thanks for the follow up. I just had a question on your comments in, in retail crop protection. Um, where you talked about sort of the favorable application conditions, um, I just wanted to understand whether you meant that uh, that was allowing for farmers to do some field work that might have taken place otherwise in 2Q or whether it was leading to greater application rates or, or, or potentially or potentially both and then on seed if, if um, I don't think this has been discussed yet, but you talked about the elevated competitive environment in the us. Is that outside of soybeans, and it doesn't sound like you're seeing that in your whatever the competitive issues. Doesn't sound like you're seeing it in your proprietary seed business.
7: You want me to take that mayo?
3: Yeah, please. And if you'd like to bring in David, that's uh, that's terrific, also. But please continue. Yeah,
7: yeah. I think on the on the crop protection side of it, if you you, you have to take yourself back to last fall and you have to compare yourself against both nineteen and, and uh years nineteen and twenty where we really had late uh we had late harvest in eighteen and nineteen. Uh last fall with getting an early a early harvest in really good conditions, we were able to get most of our soils prepared for this twenty-one cropping season. And that makes a tremendous difference uh as you come into the season. I think you would have seen that this past week with the planting progress that we were able to make, growers were able to just drop right in and start and start their farming practices. And that, that really bodes well for the crop protection side of the business because there are a lot of chemistries we use there we call in a burn down capacity or really desiccate any weeds that are up prior to planting. We're also able to get in and put a lot of our pre-emergence type herbicides uh, uh on these acreage on this acreage as well uh as it relates to that versus if you come into a year where you need to start the spring with a lot of tillage you do that you do that mechanical mechanically versus organically with with crop protection chemicals and such and uh from the from the seed side of the thing side of things it relates to uh competition on it i would say that competition's more keen uh on the soybean side of things, as it, uh, it versus corn and cotton, uh, for that matter. But there, I also would say it's not anything that's that's really unusual, or that we might not see during a normal course uh, of the year. Uh, we've got, you know, we we've got some competing traits now on the soybean side, where you know extend versus enlist, and that creates some competition as well. David, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. Uh, Please please jump in.
0: Yeah, Jeff, and Vince, a good question. And particularly on the seed side, I do think the introduction of, you know, the HT platform of E3 probably getting sort of north of 30% this year, you know, has offered a new com- competitor in the marketplace, but also in terms of our platform put us in a great position to offer to growers, you know, uh, choices not only from a genetic perspective, but also from an HT trait perspective. And so, Jeff, everything you said about crop protection, you're clearly spot on, but in terms of seeds, the introduction of uh, this, this new HT platform has offered us opportunities.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Wong with RBC Capital Markets. Andrew, your line is open. Hi. Your next question comes from the line of Adrian to Magno with Berenberg.
4: Hello, good morning. Uh, one question with uh, Polash. Assuming Janssen goes through, would you be willing to have some price cooperation talks with BHP at some point, or how do you see the the project at
8: this stage? Thank you.
3: Thanks, Adrian. You know, we're we're, we're certainly focused on our our business and driving the most value for shareholders. Uh, we we do expect to see long-term potash demand continue to grow. Uh, you know, they'll be obviously be a competitor, and I'll leave their decisions and economics to, to to them, but. we think about uh, our system, you know, we're the world's largest soft rock miner and potash producer by capacity. We've got a tremendous uh, network of flexible uh, mines, uh, six low-cost mines. Our automation has been going remarkably well and a a proven track record. And I think the other thing I think about, too, with our potash business um, is, you know, getting to Tidewater. uh, You know, Ken and his team have done a tremendous job of, you know, now, you know, historically – you know it was a great success in the, in, the, in the industry loading 100 car trains, and Ken's loading 200 car trains going to Tidewater. So it's a combination of the internal and external infrastructure, and we're really well balanced in our system. So the idea of, you know, obviously challenges of cooperating with competitors, but uh, at the same time, we're focused on price and efficiencies. And, uh, you know, and Ken, you may wish to uh, uh, comment further. But the automation programs you're bringing and taking your cost down by $3 uh, was really uh, uh, quite impressive.
8: Yeah, no, thank you, Mayo. And, uh, Adrian, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we make our own decisions independent of what, other, what our competitors are doing. We just maintain that we have uh, 5 million tons of available capacity ready to go into the market and brownfield opportunities, significant brownfield opportunities beyond that, that from uh, – um, production costs, but also development costs would be the most competitive in the world. So, yeah, we feel pretty good about, about our position. And then you layer on some of the advantages that Mayo just described, including, as Mayo said, uh, you know, some of the work that we're doing on our mine of the future. You know, we have all of our uh, mining machines with operator-not-present equipment at our the largest potash mine in the world at Rokenville. And we're outfitting the balance of our mines as well. And that's just one example of uh, several projects we have on the way to get better, reduce costs, and improve safety. So we feel pretty good yeah, about, uh, about our trajectory and, and where we're heading you know, with our decision-making.
1: There are no further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the call back over to Richard Downey for any additional or closing remarks.
2: Thanks, operator. Well, thanks, everyone, for uh, listening today. If you have got any further questions, Investor Relations is available to uh, respond to any uh, areas of interest. And uh, have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect your lines.